Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, let's all flex together. Come on, you got there. Come on, you can do this. Come on, you come on. You're too cool to flex in church. Let's do this thing. Come on. How you doing, guys? Can I can I get a personal confession before we get into message time too far this morning? I love old school roller coasters. Anybody with me? I mean, the old wooden kind where you climb that hill slow and you peek out at about 300 feet and sitting on the front row, they lean you over the front of the edge of that hill and you're looking down into the abyss and then suddenly 85 miles an hour weightless down the front of that hill and then swoop back up again. Don't give me none of them newfangled, metal, twisty, turny, hurt your neck for a month things. Most pastors like to go to the Holy Land. I pilgrimage to Sandusky, Ohio. They have seven wooden roller coasters in Sandusky, Ohio, and I, I'm, in, I'm in heaven. So anybody with me? Anybody? I just needed to get that off my chest. Just make sure you got that. Here, okay, a few of you. Well, let's all go together. Let's just get a van. Let's go. Let's have a blast, okay? Now, I said that because uh, while I love that, I hate that in life. I hate that up and down, you know, high, low. I just, I hate that, the insecurity to the confidence to I got this to no, I don't. Anybody relating to that one? Yeah, that's just kind of the reality for so many people, for most of us, the journey to becoming the confident people that I believe with everything in me God wants us to be uh, is a journey to get to that place where, where you know who you are You know who God made you to be. You know why he put you on this planet, and you are giving yourself to fulfilling that purpose and in the process finding the fulfillment that you seek all along and able to to roll with the punches that life tends to throw at us while you're on this journey because you know who you are and whose you are and and, and even able to overcome the hurts that are an inevitable part of living in a sin-cursed world that for most of us is more like a roller coaster ride than it is a rocket ship to the top. Can I get an amen in the house? That's just reality. So we're in a series that I'm simply calling Confidence. We're talking about how to live confidently uh, in, in insecure times. And, and some of the stuff I'm saying to you during this series may sound a little bit like psychology. It may sound like sociology. Here's what I need you to understand right up front. God knew all the science of this stuff way before the doctors figured it out. So what I'm telling you is not pop psychology. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstrap stuff. It's the Word of God applied in a practical way to who we are and who God wants us to begin and to become. And that's why we started last week by making sure that we understand that that the only reliable source of confidence that's available to us is a relationship with Jesus Christ based in the grace of God. If you missed that message, then go to the website and get it. Let me encourage you to get that one. That one's huge as we kind of lay the groundwork for this whole thing. Simple, right? So you just get a relationship with Jesus based in grace. And and so then why is it so difficult? Oh, oh, praise report. It's it's time for a praise report. it just, it just hit me. I, I've been, you know, second Sunday of every month, I give you a praise report on salvations. Those of you that are new, we, we believe that the, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, it says that, that people were added daily such as were being saved. And so if that's true then, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever, today and forever, then, then we ought to have 365 people getting saved every year in the church. Right? Every day? You ready for 2018 numbers? 260 people gave their lives to Christ through the ministry of the bridge last year. 
Okay, it's not 365, but we're going to get it this year, okay? Keep praying, keep pressing, keep inviting your unchurched friends, keep reaching out to them. Many of you are watching online right now, particularly on a rainy day like this. I'm so glad you're watching online. Uh, about 350 people watch online every week now, and we're excited about what God's doing through the Internet as well. So, But let's get back to it. Here's the question. If, if all these people are coming to faith in Christ, and many of you are, if not most of you are walking in relationship with Christ, some of you for decades like me, then why, why the roller coaster? Why can't we just say, I am his now, and we just sang this song, this is who I am, you know? I, this, you know why is it so difficult? And, and I think one of the primary reasons is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Let's get into the scriptures this morning. John said it this way. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If you've been here very long, you know that, that we pull out a lot of those if then statements from Scripture, if this is true, then that'll be true. We do that a lot. Here's one of those that's kind of the opposite of that. Here's a if not then. You see it? So if not what? If not condemned, then, hello, are you out there? <clears throat> Confident, right? So that tells me there's only two choices. It, it is either condemned or confident. That's it. So the simple solution is you want to get off the emotional roller coaster? Get rid of condemnation. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church. Beat everybody else to the restaurant for brunch, okay? <clears throat> That's the hard part, right? And again, those of you that know me know that for me, the practical application is the huge one. So the YBH, yeah, but how? So I want to spend some time this morning talking about how do we move from condemnation to confidence? How do we get off of that roller coaster and get into that stable environment of I am who I say I am or I am who he says I am? I can walk in confidence because of who he says I am. So let's get into it. Before we do to the YBHs, though, the Yes But House, uh, let me give you two reasons, I think, why uh, we self-condemn, okay? I think there's two big ones. Number one, I think we do it because of unresolved guilt. Uh, Psalm 38.4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a load, it weights me down. A anybody here know how that feels? A anybody honest enough in church to do your head like that? Yeah, don't throw elbows. I mean, it's just true. We know how that feels to walk around and carry this stuff and how, and how load-bearing it can be. Even the gas company knows this. That's why their slogan is clean engines produce more power. We just know uh, that it's true. The story is told of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes, that one day he did a practical joke. He wrote an anonymous telegram to 12 leading men in the U.K., men of business and government, and, uh, and, and the telegram simply said, all is found out, flee at once. Within 24 hours, eight of the 12 had left the country. <laughs> He had no clue what was going on in their lives, but they knew what was going on in their lives. Guys, guilt is like a burglar alarm. You can ignore it if you want to, but it's not going to go off till you address what caused it to go off to begin with. You can pretend it isn't there, but as long as it's unresolved, you're going to be insecure. You're going to live in fear of being found out. That's reality, okay? Equally common, perhaps even more common, is, is what I just simply call unrealistic expectations. I'm talking about perfectionism. That fleeting feeling that somehow I must be flawless. No matter what I do, I didn't quite do enough. 
by the way, if you want to know if you're a perfectionist, I've got a couple of quick tests for you. You can jot these down uh, if it's meaningful for you. Take the test right quick. Uh, first of all, if you want to know if you're one of these perfectionist people, pay attention to what you say. Start listening to yourself. And if you find yourself saying things like, I ought to, I have to, I should, I gotta, I, I, you know, I can't not. If you find yourself saying that a lot, then there's a really good chance that you may be falling into the perfectionist trap. But the bigger uh, test is look at your to-do list. How many got a to-do list? How many got a to-don't list? You need a, some of you need a to-don't list. Just, I'm moving that off. Hear, hear me. Here's what I read the other day. The average person <clears throat> has nine things on their to-do list on a given day. They do three of them. They delegate three of them. And three of them they push till tomorrow and they go home feeling good about themselves. That's the average person. The perfectionist has 29 things on their to-do list that you know what's, what's coming, right? They do 28 of them and they go home beating themselves up because they didn't do the one that they thought they should have. I should have finished. I ought to be able to do that much stuff in a given day. No elbows. If that's you, here's your verse. I want you to read it out loud. If it's not you, you're married to somebody that says, read softly. Okay, just read softly. Here we go. Psalm 119, 96. Here we go. Nothing is perfect except your word, oh, Lord. Let that sink in. If you want to get off the condemnation train and get into the confidence world, you've got to deal with any unresolved guilt that's there. And you've got to deal with any unrealistic expectations, this perfectionism, because those things zap confidence faster than anything else I know. And let me just throw a little side note in here. You don't have to put extra in the offering for this one. Those unrealistic expectations may come from you, or they may come from people around you. doesn't matter. They're going to have the same effect until you deal with them. Okay? You ready to get into it? So here's the YBH. Here's the yes, but how? How do I get off this roller coaster? How do I become this confident person that we talked about whose foundation is a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I want to put this in terms of, of declarations, okay? These are going to be our faith declarations today. And before we leave here this morning, we're going to make these declarations and make them solid. Here we go. Uh, <clears throat> number one, I will accept God's forgiveness. Say it with me. I will accept God's forgiveness, one more time like you actually mean it, I will accept God's forgiveness. The good news is you don't have to carry guilt around. No matter what it is that you've done, Jesus has already paid for it. Somebody said to me one time, I, I didn't ask Jesus to die for me. I said, I know, but he already did. So the only question now is, is one person going to die for your sins or two? He's already done it. It's, it's taken care of. You can address it. This is who Jesus is. And he came and communicated to that. There's a familiar story from Jesus' life. One day he's out in the courtyards teaching, and the Pharisees, the law legalist of the day, brought him a woman, threw her down at his feet, and said she'd been caught in an adulterous act. I've never quite understood why they didn't bring the man to, but they didn't. They threw her down and, and said, you know, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And... Uh, and Jesus looked at him and said, well, okay, uh, whichever one of you has no sin, have at it. Got down started writing something in the sand. Some people, some people say that he, he started writing uh, sins. I don't know. He might have started writing things like uh, Gloria and Mary and my, you know, the names of the women that they've been doing it with. I don't know exactly what he wrote, but he wrote something in the sand. And, and when they all fled... 
he looked at her and said, woman, where's your accusers? And she said, ah, there's nobody here. And he said, John 8, 11, familiar passage, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And what I want you to do is I want you to insert your name in that story. I want you to insert your sin in that story. Okay? 1 John's very clear. If you say you don't have sin, you're lying to yourself, and everybody else knows it. That's kind of a paraphrase, but it's true. So I want you to insert your name in there and recognize that Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you, I came to save you. I came to set you free from that stuff. Did he say it's okay to sin? No. He didn't even pronounce her innocent. He pronounced her guilty but pardoned. That's different. Kind of like a giant delete button on a digital camera. It's over. So hear me, guys. If you want to become a confident person, the first step to that journey is you've got to deal with the guilt of your own failures and recognize Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. You've got to embrace grace. I will accept God's forgiveness. I will let God forgive me. The harder step, though, is step number two, which is I will forgive myself. Say it with me. I will forgive myself. One more time out loud like you mean it. I will forgive myself. You see, not only does God forgive you, but he wants you to forgive yourself too. Look at Proverbs 4.25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. I just pulled that passage out because it's got a, a word picture, an image to it that I love. It is this idea of a confident person who's looking straight forward, and you can see by their gait that they're not hiding, they're not ashamed, they're walking in confidence. That's, that's who I want you to be, guys. That's who I want us to be. Not arrogant people, but confident people because of what Christ has done for us. I can't tell you. I wish I had time to tell you story after story, hundreds of stories across the years of people that I've seen come to this church and previous church that I led where where, where people would come in, and when they first came, they would not make eye contact with you. Their, their eyes were down, and they wouldn't look at anybody. One lady I'm thinking of right now just popped in my head. I'm standing outside. She's coming up for the first time, and, and I, I'm greeting her. You know, I'm a hugger. I, I can't help it. I'm a hugger. And I'm saying, hey, good to see you. She ran into my collarbone with the forehead of her head, boom, rolled off of me and went inside the church. <laughs> Okay, I don't know what's going on with her. Six weeks later, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Six months later, she came walking in with her head held high and a big smile on her face. And I said, girl, you are different than you were six months ago. She said, I know. I am forgiven, and I am finally forgiving myself. Is that huge for some of you guys? So let me ask you, have you ever asked God to forgive you? for something that you did or failed to do, and you know he did, but you still felt guilty afterwards? Come on. So what do you do? Do you ask him to forgive you again? No, because he's already hit delete. What you do is you thank him for his forgiveness and then forgive yourself again and again and again and again 
until it takes. You see, the problem is our God is gracious. If you will confess your sins, he will forgive your sins. We ain't that gracious even with ourselves, and so we will beat ourselves up for a while. So you say it over and over and over again. God has forgiven me. I am forgiven. God has forgiven me. I am forgiven. Every time the guilt comes back, you repeat it. God has forgiven me. I am forgiven. Until you repattern your thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are transformed by the renewing, the repatterning of our thinking. If you want to get off the emotional roller coaster, I will accept God's forgiveness. I will forgive myself. Is this making sense? Does this register, guys? Let it register, please, I beg you. The third step then in this journey of becoming a confident person is I will relax in God's grace. Having been forgiven, having dealt with this whole forgiveness of myself, now I'm going to learn to live, to walk in forgiveness. And that's hard, but I need you to hear me say, you don't have to be perfect for God to love you. Problem is, we've talked about this last week a little bit, a lot of us, maybe most of us, grew up in a guilt-based kind of religion. I, it was amazing to me in uh, leading churches like I have for many years that, where the congregation is made up of every denominational background you can think of, Baptists and Methodists and, and Catholics and Pentecostals and Presbyterians. It's just amazing the common thread through all of them seems to be a guilt-based approach to getting people to do the right thing. So we grew up in that world. I ran across, I kid you not, I ran across a gospel track. They call it a gospel track just recently. And, uh, and the heading on the tract said, Jesus says don't. And then the subtitle was 40 things Jesus said don't do. Now, I'm excited now. I'm just, boy, I can't wait to read this one, okay? And here's, here's some, just a few of the things. It says, man, don't wear long hair. Aren't you glad? Uh, don't listen to any teacher that uses anything other than the King James Version. Because it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me, right? There's a joke in there some of you didn't get. Uh, <laughs> don't use puppets to teach the Word of God or joke in church. I'm serious. That's what I said. Don't save for old age. It's evidence that you don't trust God. That's what I said. And then the final one, I mean, there's 40 of these things, but the final one is, don't forget, you are saved by grace, but you stay saved by works. Now, you won't be surprised to know that there was no scriptural references for any one of these points, because there aren't any. There's nothing in the Word of God about any of that kind of stuff. We've made it all up in our own legalisms, but you also probably won't be surprised to find out there ain't nothing new about it. It ain't a 21st century phenomena. It was going on 2,000 years ago. The church at Galatia fell into that trap long ago. And when Paul found out that the church at Galatia was there, man, he was fired up. All right. But he just, he just went after them. So here we go. Put it up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I want us to read it together. I want you to imagine uh, that Paul is talking to this church. And let's read it together. Okay, one, two, three, go. You. Okay, a couple of you got it. Come on, you. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I mean, kind of get the image. I mean, Paul started this church, led most of them to faith in Jesus Christ. He's taught them how to be free from guilt. And now these teachers called Judaizers have come in, and they're teaching that it's about the law, and it's about works, and it's about you got to get it right. He's led them into legalism, and Paul is writing to correct them. And so in his correction, he's saying, 
come on, guys. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Pick it up. Let's read it together. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Can you imagine a daddy saying that to his kids? I just want to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? I I see myself standing over my sons when they're boys and say, Boy, didn't I teach you better than that? Come on, man, I taught you better than that. That's not what I role modeled for you. What's he saying? He's saying grace made it possible for you to have a relationship with God. Grace started you on this journey toward confidence. So why did you switch to the pot-filled road of legalism along the way? It's not a matter of human effort. It's a matter of grace, sweet grace. Wait, Pastor, are you saying we don't have to be righteous people? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying don't forget Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who, who were the Pharisees? Any of you guys know? They were the legalists of the day. They were the guys who, who, who I mean, they really, they, they, they wrote 800 pages to unpack the Ten Commandments. I mean, these are the legalists of the day. They had stuff like, not only can you not work on Sunday, but you can't have more than a certain number of tacks in your shoe and go for a walk on Sunday. That, that's how tough they got. Uh, they, they used to walk around uh, with what they called phylacteries, which were kind of these boxes that they wore on their foreheads, and they were uh, little tiny Torahs, books of the law, in their foreheads, and they'd walk around saying, hey, everybody look at me. I'm holy because I keep the law. I get it all right. I mean, these guys tithed off the leaves from their garden. I, these guys were tough. So... How does your righteousness surpass that? It has to be a better kind of righteousness. It can't be more than they did, more perfected than they went after it. It's got to be a righteousness based on something else. It's got to be a righteousness based on grace, God's free gift of grace. Now hear me, that's not license to sin Because grace may be free, but it wasn't cheap. Just let it wash over you. Jesus Christ paid for the grace that we receive with his very life. It's free, but it ain't cheap, guys. Nobody's trying to cheapen living a righteous life. I just need you to understand that if you believe somehow that if you work hard enough and you get perfect enough, that finally you'll be a confident person. It's never going to happen. You've got to base your confidence in the fact that God forgives and that he'll give you the grace to forgive yourself and that ultimately you learn to rest in grace, sweet grace. Can we sing that? Is it all right if we sing that? Amazing grace, come on, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I Thank you, Jesus, for grace. Help us to rest in it. Let me give you this image and we'll move on. How many of you have kids or nieces, nephews, some kids in your life? Anybody have any kids in your life? So, so how many of you remember when they were first learning to walk? You remember when some of you are there now, some of you look back on it. <coughs> you know, my, my kids are grown, but I got grandkids that are at that stage. And... Uh, and they're learning to walk. So you remember how they did it? You remember how they learned to walk? Come on, you know. They, 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 they start out by taking two steps and they'd stumble and fall. And what did you do when they stumbled and fell? Did, did you step up and smack them and say, come on, you can do better than that? Is that what, is that what you did? What did you do? You picked them up, you brushed them off and said, man, you're doing great. Let's go. Let's try again. And then I got three steps out and then plop on their behind. Can I tell you that if I'm walking along and I plop on my behind all of a sudden, my backbone is going up through the top of my head. But these guys just bounce, boing, you know. <laughs> so what do you do? You go pick them up and you say, oh, man, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. Let's go. And then eventually they get to where they, they can move, they can walk. And so now they, get, they start running and then, then their, their head gets ahead and boom, and then they're face first in the floor, you know. And what do you do? Come on, you're a wall boy. You can do better than that. Get up, man. Is that what you do? No, you pick them up and brush them off and love on them and say, come on, you are getting this. I am so proud of you. That's what God is doing when you mess up. Say, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my boy. You're my girl. I love you. I know you blew it. Just get up. Let's go again. Stay in relationship with me and watch how I do it. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. The Lord has mercy on those who respect him. As a father has mercy on his children, he knows how we were made. He remembers that we're just dust. i got to move on, but hear me. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less than he does. Because his love is not based on any condition that you have. His love is based on who he is. And he knows we're dust. And he knows we're going to mess up now and then. And he knows. All he wants is when that time comes that we say, Abba, which means Daddy. Dad, I blew it again. He does not expect us to be Superman. He knows we can't be. You ever hear the story about Muhammad Ali in his heyday when he was flying one day? And uh, they're getting ready to take off, preparing for takeoff. And the flight attendant went over to Mr. Ali and, and said, it's an honor to meet you, sir. I'm going to ask you to buckle your seatbelt. And uh, Muhammad said, uh, uh, no, I think I'll be fine. She said, sir, I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to buckle your seatbelt. And after two or three of those exchanges, he finally said, Superman don't need no, no uh, seatbelt. 
To which she replied, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle your seatbelt, sir. (laughs) That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8, chapter 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That says to me that I don't have to be condemned. I can be confident. I can choose confidence over condemnation. The question is not whether I'm good enough. I'm not. The question is, am I in Christ? Am I in relationship with Jesus Christ? So we come to Christ and we present ourselves guilty and he takes our sins and he wraps them up in his love and he presents us to the Father forgiven. How do I get off this guilt, perfectionism, roller coaster? I will accept God's forgiveness. I will forgive myself. I will relax in grace. Ready for number four? You ready? I will eliminate negative self-talk. I will eliminate negative self-talk. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. This is one of those that psychology will tell you that and, and all kinds of Uh, People in the sciences will tell you that these days, and I'm here to tell you that just because they said it doesn't mean it's wrong. God knew it before they did, and he put it in his word 2,500 years ago. What it simply says is your thoughts determine your feelings, and your feelings often determine your actions, and your actions ultimately determine your direction in life, where you end up. So if you want to change where you end up, where do you start? Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? Where do you start? You start with your thoughts. You start in your thought life. And I did some research this week. I was just curious about it. Uh, And and i got to tell you, the human brain is an amazing thing. In fact, I read somewhere, it would take a computer the size of the Pentagon just to match the basic functions of the human brain. The brain consists of over 100 billion cells, each cell connected to 10,000 neurons, and every cell is constantly sending impulses to every other cell. The result of that, that's a lot of stats and stuff, but the result of all of that is that you are talking to yourself all the time, constantly. Is it right? Am I true? I mean, you are right now. I mean, right now, you're sitting there listening to me and at the same time saying, who's this jerk? What does he know? I mean, that's what you're doing right there in your head. You didn't know I could read your mind, did you? I'm good at that. So so follow me, okay? I want want you to track with me on this thing because I think this is important for us to get um, in order to to move into this confidence thing we're looking at. Um, The average person can talk at about 150 words per minute, all right? If you're from North Carolina, that's 50 words. If you're from New Jersey, that's 350 words. But the average person is 150 words a minute, okay? We can hear 500 words a minute. So that's a built-in 350-word boredom factor, which is why your mind wanders while I'm talking, no matter how wonderful it is that I'm, what I'm saying. Hello? Come on. You there? Right? Uh So stay with me. Okay. While all of that's going on, say 150 words, hear 500 words, we have the capacity to talk to ourselves in terms of 1,300 words per minute. 
You know why we can do that? Because we talk to ourselves in pictures, in images. You know, pictures worth a thousand words, that's real, that's literal. And so we talk to ourselves in terms of pictures, in terms of images, and we see an image and it just conveys all kinds of ideas and thoughts. The problem is, is not the, the amazing capacity of the human brain and the communication stuff that are associated with it. The problem is that for an awful lot of us, our internal dialogue is like Job's was. Look at the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 20. It looks like Job to me. You can pronounce it Job if you want to. Even if I were right, my own mouth would say I was wrong. If I were innocent, my mouth would say I am guilty. Anybody relating to that one? Come on, guys. If you're like most people I know, myself included, we are our own worst critic. Can I get a universal amen in the house? Yeah. We're always putting ourselves down. This morning, you came into church this morning, and you're smiling, and you're greeting people, but inside your head, you're thinking, I'm fat. I hope they don't notice. Come on, let's just be real. I am ugly. Why don't I look as good as those people? That's, that's what we do. All right. I, I am always late. Okay, that one may be true. But uh, come on, am I right? I am so clumsy, I might fall down before I get to my chair. I better hurry up and get there. That's what we do. That stuff's going on in our heads. All the while we're saying, hey, good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you. I'm glad you made it today. That's what's going on inside. Now, hear me. In, for most of us, that's unconscious. For most of us, most of that stuff is just kind of a subconscious kind of thing. But hear me. I believe it with everything in me. God wants me to tell you to knock it off. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you go around thinking all the time, I'm a loser, then guess what? You're going to lose. You go around thinking all the time, I'm exhausted, I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Then you're going to be sick and tired all the time. It's just reality. We play this stuff in. We begin to act the way we think because that's how we feel, kind of like the hypochondriac that had carved on her tombstone. See, I told you I was sick. Just had to see if you're awake, that's all. So how do you become a more confident person? How do you, how do, you do this? I will accept God's forgiveness. Come on. I will accept God's forgiveness. I will forgive myself. I will relax in grace. I will replace negative self-talk with the truth. Now hear me, I said replace, not resist. We've talked about this in time past. We'll talk about it again in the future, no doubt. You cannot resist a thought. You have to replace a thought. That's why Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, think about things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. What's he saying? He's saying replace that negative junk with the truth of God's word. Replace all that stuff with truth and then let that truth inform your feelings, which informs your actions, which determines where you end up in the days ahead. Got it? Got it? We need to unpack that one some more. You got it? You Do your heads like this if you got it. I got one more. I got to close, but I got one more. Read them with me. Come on, here we go. I will accept God's forgiveness. Come on. I will accept God's forgiveness. I will forgive myself. I will relax in God's grace. I will replace negative talk with the truth of God's word. Number five, here we go. Here's the biggie, bottom line of all of them. I will quit trying to please everybody. 
Come on, out loud. I will quit trying to please everybody. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Do, do you know why the Bible calls it a snare? Can I give you three quick reasons and then we'll bring this to a close? First of all, you can't do it. You can't please everybody. Is that true? I was chaplain of a high school football team a few years ago, and when I first met with the head coach and, and offered to, to help, I said, you know, I said, I'd love to help. He said, well, you can't really do anything and, you know, separation church and state stuff. I said, well, I'll just be a water boy or something. Can I just come hang out with your football team? And he said, uh, yeah, I'd love that. Would you be chaplain? I said, sure, <laughs> of course. And so I was chaplain for a couple of years of that football team, and, and, uh, and the coach said, well, I, I need to know one thing uh, before you start. How do you feel about praying for our team to win? I said, well, what do you do when both quarterbacks of the national championship team are followers of Christ? Which one do you pray for? Your favorite, of course. That's what you pray for, right? Uh, what does God do? He can't answer both their prayers to win, so he does what's best for them. He does what's best to develop their character. He does what's best for them and the purpose he has for their lives. But even God can't please everybody. True? Second, uh, reason that it's a trap is that when I try to please everybody, I get pulled in so many directions, I'm not effective at anything. Instead of always doing what God put me on the planet to do and fulfilling His purpose in my life, I'm always trying to do what you expect me to do. And then finally, the bottom line, the real one that will bring us to a close, is I really only have to please one person to be confident. His name is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If, come on, read it with me, if God is for us, who can be against us? As long as you're trying to live up to other people's unrealistic expectations, you are doomed to fail. That's why the Bible calls it a snare, a trap. So read it with me one more time and we'll close. I will accept God's forgiveness. I will forgive myself. I will relax in God's free grace. I will eliminate negative self-talk, replace it with the truth of God's Word. I will quit trying to please everybody. Here it is, bottom line, I will live for an audience of one. Say it with me. I will live for an audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you will get there, I promise you, confidence will follow soon after. You will find yourself walking into situations that are way over your head with a confidence that says, God's put me here. God's going to bring me through this thing. No matter what happens, I'm good. No roller coasters here. You can deal with it because of what you've decided. And I've got to bring this to a close. Here's what Jesus said will happen when you do these things. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. Here we go. Take my yoke upon you and get with it. Can't you do any more than that? Is that what it says? Come on, man. We've got to harvest together. Get busy. Is that what it says? What does it say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke is that piece of equipment that they use to 
to, to direct the oxen so that the paths are straight, the roads are straight in the farmland. Jesus is saying, yeah, you've got a yoke. You've got to serve somebody. My yoke fits. My yoke was custom designed for you. It won't chafe. It won't blister. It'll help you to go the right way. Just trust me and you will find rest. So how do I trade the yoke of insecurity for Jesus' yoke of rest and confidence? It's simple, really. Study your Bible really hard. Go to church four times a week. Join four serve teams and two bridge groups. Always be on time for church. Make sure you take communion at least once a week and witness to everybody in sight and, 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 and stop me when I get to the right answer. How do you get there? What do you say? Come to me. I will give you Close your eyes with me, would you? Jesus' invitation is really simple. It's easy to understand. You can transfer your guilt and your insecurity to his shoulders. You can trade your condemnation for confidence. So I want you to, in the stillness of this moment, with your eyes closed, nobody's looking, just me and you and Jesus for a minute, I want you to imagine that he walks down the aisle of the church. He walks over to you and he lays his hand on your shoulder. Feel the weight of his hand, the warmth of his touch. Listen to his gentle voice as he whispers in your ear. Let's take those burdens off. Let's get that yoke of condemnation off of you and let me fit you with this one that's custom designed for you that leads to confidence and fulfillment and abundant living. Let's take that yoke of perfectionism off of you Put it down over here. Let me fit you with the yoke of God's plan for your life. Can you hear him saying those words to you? Can you let him speak his love into you this morning? You that are watching online, can you let him speak that life into you and that confidence? Can you breathe deep? Breathe in grace and out confidence. Father, you see us. You know who we are. You know that we are just dust, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong, but at the end of the day, we want a fulfilling life, and you promised to give it to us, so we're coming to you saying, Lord, just keep your promise, please. And I know your response to that is, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Thank you for inviting me in. So keep your heads bowed for just another minute. I want you to pray that prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. Pray it silently. I don't care. But pray that prayer with me. Um, it says, Jesus, I'm done with condemnation thinking. I'm ready to, to live confidently in you, in Christ. 
So forgive me. Come on, forgive me. Give me the grace to forgive myself. Help me to learn to walk in the unforced rhythms of grace. Help me to eliminate this negative self-talk. Replace it with the truth of your word. Help me, Lord, to quit trying to please everybody else and just commit to pleasing you. And I thank you for the confidence that will come because I've chosen to do life your way. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying, both in the room and online. You know what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. I pray that you'd give us the assurance you've heard our prayer. Grace has been released. Fresh starts are available to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? The older workers are coming. There's an opportunity for you to come and pray with somebody today. Maybe you need to pray about these issues. Maybe you've got a physical need. You need healing. Our God is a healer. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, we'd love to pray for you, pray with you, minister to you in the altars. Thank you so much for being in church today, coming out on this kind of rainy, cold day. So glad that you're here. Let me bless you as I go. Father, go with us. Keep us safe. Bless us as we go from this place. Use us in a way that brings glory to your name and help us to become the confident in you people that you've called us to be, you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. First-time guest, stop by the VIP table. So glad you've come today. We'll see you next Sunday. We'll continue our conversation.